Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello. We are here today with a special bonus episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. I am talking today to Mariah Ward, who is a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner working in a federally qualified health center. Mariah has been on the podcast a few times now, and I will link to their episodes in the show notes. Mariah's been on as a case study episode talking about their process finding a job and also on the new grad NP roundtable episode, both of which, like I said, I'll link in the show notes in case you're curious. But today we're talking all about federally qualified health centers. This is something that we both get asked a lot of questions about. And since Mariah works in an FQHC and has recently gone through the job search and hiring and onboarding process, we thought that they would be the perfect guest to share wisdom all about this very nuanced and interesting and great work setting for nurse practitioners. So let's dive into today's bonus episode with Dr. Mariah Ward. Hey, Mariah, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's nice to be back. I am very excited to have you back because today you are going to share your wisdom about federally qualified health centers. And so I'd like you to start um, just by giving a brief introduction of yourself and kind of why you're interested and and qualified to talk about this topic. Yeah. So um, my name is Mariah. I am a a board certified family nurse practitioner um, at a large federally qualified health center in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been there close to a year. I received a lot of education around um, underserved populations, not specifically federally qualified health centers within my education that really translated as I began my practice and as I started looking for roles. So I took a FQHC job as the start of my career in August, and I've been there since. And so I'm really passionate about FQHCs and and their, their overall mission and goal within our communities. And I have a lot of experience with our federally qualified health center, which it kind of expands three or four counties and have over um, five satellite offices, including our main office. Um, And so while every FQHC looks different, I'm really passionate about kind of talking about our mission and our goals as an FQHC as a whole. Awesome. And you and I have had a few conversations kind of offline about FQHCs because you tend to be the person that I go to with questions because I get a lot of career-related questions from NPs or NP students who may be exploring potential roles and they want to know a little bit more about what it's like to work in an FQHC, kind of what it is. So we're really going to dive into that and and go over those questions so that we can share them here um, on the podcast. So I'd love for you to start by telling us a little bit about FQHCs, federally qualified health centers, and specifically what they are. Yeah. So um, FQHCs are usually community-based health centers that provide primary care services. They also provide ancillary services depending on their size. In underserved areas, they receive HRSA, which is the Health 
Resources and Services Administration um, funding. And so HRSA kind of guides their practice. So they set um, certain measures and goals for FQHCs to meet every so often. Um, Typically, they'll measure, we measure every month. They're called UDS measures. Um, And we're looking to see if we can improve patient health within our underserved communities. And they can be um, in a variety of areas and settings. Ours is more urban, but we do have some satellite offices which are more rural. And so that's kind of the overarching theme of what a federally qualified health center is. Is So we're, we're a federally funded um, organization that provides primary care services predominantly and may provide ancillary services depending on where you are. So for instance, my particular federally qualified health center provides primary care services for adults and children and we have a separate separate pediatric department. Um, we have an adults department and a senior department within our major um, office. Our satellite offices see all ages. And then within our main office, we have dental services that you can receive. And then um, all of our satellite offices have access to behavioral health specialists, which are licensed clinical social workers, and a psychiatric ner- mental health nurse practitioner, as well as case and care managers, which are both social workers and RNs within our clinic and kind of looking to eventually expand into further things, um, which I'm excited to talk about eventually. But some will do less services um, and may not have as many of the ancillary services as ours do. We also have registered dietitians at our clinic, which they're available for our satellite clinics as well. And so some clinics may not have the full disciplinary scope um, like ours do, and we have access to a pharmacy and things like that. But some federally qualified health centers will predominantly just provide primary care services and may contract with other organizations to provide the ancillary services, just depending on their size and patient volume. Since we live in, well, since I live in Raleigh, which is a, a larger area in the capital, we have more services to provide. So typically, federally qualified health centers just depends on where you're at and where you're located. A more rural place may not have as the accessibility for more services, um, whereas more concentrated or denser cities may have better services or more expansive services based on the community need. Okay, so it sounds like the main difference is that they're federally funded, and then they can kind of have a spectrum of care ranging from just kind of basic primary care services all the way through providing lots of ancillary services so that it would really be a one-stop shop for a lot of patients in terms of their ambulatory care. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Especially at our clinic, we we provide pretty much the scope of practices really, you could receive almost every single service there except vision. So right now we have a really comprehensive service and um, for primary care and, and your basic everyday needs that you would have. And, and that's kind of how we provide services. Awesome. So why would a nurse practitioner necessarily be interested in working at an FQHC? Like what are uh, kind of the overall benefits of working in this type of setting? Yeah. So the primary reason I would suggest anyone work at a federally qualified health center is that you're passionate about underserved communities. Underserved communities can mean uninsured or underinsured patients, patients who are immigrants, patients um, who have limited access to healthcare services due to their location. So you're looking really at a broad spectrum of patients who have complex needs, and you're going to provide primary care services predominantly, but you're going to need expertise in kind of providing more services and at least reaching out to other people to kind of connect them so that they can receive better services to improve overall patient health. So that's the overarching goal that I would say you need to have in mind if you want to work for a federally qualified health center. And and if you're passionate about that community, you'll get a lot out of the experience. So that's like Mm -hmm. the first 
why somebody would want to work there is that they're passionate about the community. And that really helps kind of set the foundation for the rest of it. And then the other benefits to working at a federally qualified health center, and this is sort of my opinion as well, but I like having concrete measures that we know we're trying to meet with every patient and having kind of structure um, within your organization, typically on what do we do if if a patient needs to be referred and having those resources. Um, federally qualified health centers, especially ones that have been well established within the community, have a lot of resources for their patients. And so I think that's a benefit. Sometimes in primary care, it's just you as a provider. And so as a nurse practitioner, it's really beneficial for federally qualified health centers because you have not just nurse practitioners and physicians, but you have nurses, you have registered dietitians, you may have um, behavioral health. So there's, it's more integrated um, and you provide a more comprehensive service. So I think that that's one of the major benefits for me is that there's interprofessional collaboration really available to you to optimize your patient's health. And then, you know, other benefits are include loan repayment, which is always an awesome um, feature for students who have accumulated some debt getting their nurse practitioner degree um, because it's a HRSA funded facility. It usually qualifies for HRSA-funded scholarships or loan repayment programs, which uh, I think is a huge benefit as well. So I think predominantly for me, the primary focus would be somebody who would want to serve this community with the knowledge that you're going to collaborate with other people to just optimize patient health. So I think that's kind of what I think you would need as a nurse practitioner to, to move forward for that. And it sounds like a really great learning environment, too. It sounds like you're likely being exposed to a broad range of diagnoses and also, you know, complex medical needs, complex social needs. It sounds like it's it's not necessarily a whole bunch of straightforward by the book patients either. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the, I think that that's why I mentioned interprofessional collaboration as a key component of why somebody would want to work at an FQHC is because you cannot manage these patients alone. Oftentimes they've delayed healthcare as a result of being under or uninsured, not knowing the resources available within their community. And so sometimes they'll come with tons of, of comorbidities that aren't controlled and that they don't have a knowledge base on. And it's really important to utilize your interprofessional collaboration to be able to really learn about the patient population. So as a new nurse practitioner, it's really great because like you said, we're exposed to not only new diagnoses, but entire like social concepts and social problems that some primary care settings don't really delve into. But in um, FQHCs, you'll, you'll get a lot of, especially, you know, oh, I, I limit my XYZ medication because I can't afford it. So, you know, being able to kind of not just treat a patient, but kind of meet their their social needs within the community is, um, is really, really important and is one of the benefits, in my opinion, to being able to help this kind of community and work in this environment. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really like purposeful work, you know, impactful work, and also very enriching professionally because you get that opportunity to really learn and grow and, and be extra resourceful as a provider. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone is considering working at an FQHC and they're an applicant, you know, what types of things should they know about any differences in either the hiring process or the compensation or actually being an employee? Are there any nuances that may be different from just kind of a run-of-the-mill primary care setting? Yeah, absolutely. So they're more fixed in their salaries. They're pretty standard across the board. So as a new nurse practitioner, every nurse practitioner is pretty much going to be paid a standard amount. 
where I live, I was paid competitively for both the market for nurse practitioners as well as the location. And so I got what I expected to get, which was totally what I wanted. However, I've, I've heard from other um, individuals who work at FQHCs that they have been paid a little less than market value depending on where they're located. So I think I'm fortunate because my FQHC is, is a larger FQHC um, within the capital that I received a competitive pay. But typically, pay-wise, you're going to maybe see a, a little bit of a discrepancy and being paid less than what your maybe your market value would be if you were to get into a standard primary care setting. And then at least at my FQHC, our CME was standard as well. There was no negotiating that. Your PTO is pretty standard. It was, it was also competitive. I, my compensation package was pretty solid. You may see not a traditional nine to five schedule or eight to five schedule. At our clinic, we're open 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, except on Fridays. We close at five. So there are some nuances in the schedule you may see depending on your FQHC. You may see a traditional eight to five or you may see 10 hour shifts or however they may do that. So those are some that's that's something to expect as well from an FQHC. You may have variable hours. I know that some FQHCs in our in, in my area also do Saturday and Sunday work. So you may see that you may need to work some weekends. And so expecting that as well. Also FQHCs are required by law to have an on-call service. So more than likely you are going to be obligated to an on-call rotation. So I would expect that in your salary or your compensation package. In terms of hiring, at least my experience and some of the experiences that have been shared with me is that you typically do panel interviews, um, especially within multiple disciplines. You'll, you'll see and talk to multiple people, both nurse practitioners or MDs, um, as well as some behavioral health specialists and some HR. And so expecting a more paneled, you know, review um, versus like a one-on-one -on -one interview, but that kind of seems to be standard across the board, but expecting maybe to see different disciplines beyond just your providers, um, your traditional, you know, physicians and, and nurse practitioners and PAs, expecting to see maybe a licensed clinical social worker to interview with or a registered dietitian, depending on where you are and where you're being hired at. And then I would say that in terms of, of nuances um, as well, especially with credentialing, expect to almost automatically be put into Medicaid and Medicare. Um, fortunately, they are very quick to respond and you, you're almost virtually instantaneously approved for both of those. And then, you know, in terms of credentialing, it may take longer, but typically your start date won't be impacted by credentialing. Some primary care services I've heard you may have a like you may be waiting three months to be high, like to actually start because of credentialing. And so um, you may see that shift in FQHCs where because their patients are predominantly uninsured and underinsured or may have Medicaid, Medicare services, you will predominantly see those for the first couple of months. I am eight months in and still have not been fully credentialed. Some of that shift changes. I've been, you know, for the most part, we have complete credentialing. And I think I'm just missing a couple, but just being prepared that credentialing will take a little while. And that that kind of is part of it, um, as well as credentialing ask like part of our credentialing services. And I think that this is just a, a HRSA requirement. You'll turn in a lot of documentation and some documentation may not make, make sense or they may, it may not be a component of 
primary care, like other primary care services, but they have a credentialing board that basically says, yes, Mariah can practice as a nurse practitioner here with these specific things. And they do that based on a panel. So there's a credentialing board or panel that meets, I think, once monthly and dictates, hey, yes, Mariah can continue practicing. At this point, I'd be continuing. Or, hey, Mariah needs to needs to do XYZ or I miss the components or something like that. So usually we have a credentialing specialist, so I don't have to do very much but turn stuff in. So that's really great. But knowing that there is more formalized processes for things because we are federally funded and that requires, um, that has some nuances to the entire environment. Hmm. So it sounds like in terms of salary, expect a little bit less than market value or market average. But because there's more, I guess, bureaucracy, I think is fair to say, like, it's likely that there would be something like an employee handbook and, you know, a pretty standard benefits package. And I'm just thinking of this compared to maybe like a single physician private practice, which may not even offer any benefits at all. It sounds like FQHCs are going to have more policies and procedures and with that more benefits as well. So it's likely I'm going to assume that you have like vacation time and a retirement option and those types of things that you're eligible for. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. For I think even nurse practitioners as a, as a whole, I have six weeks of paid time off. And that is an incredible amount um, for a new graduate. And as the longer you're at our organization, the more you get. So we start at six weeks brand new. I've heard of nurse practitioners getting two to four weeks and that being still pretty good for them in their opinion. So like my PTO is really great. They're like, like you mentioned, they're, the compensation package overall is, is much more beneficial versus it being, you know, where it's limited. And like you said, there's more policies and procedures. So everything is standardized. And so I feel like that that makes me feel personally better because I know that all new nurse practitioners are pretty much going to get the same compensation package versus me being paid less than somebody who comes on board because of XYZ. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, it's good to point out that let's say the salary number itself is a little bit less, maybe even like five to 10% less than average for your area. It sounds like there are other benefits that you know, someone should really consider uh, when it comes to their entire benefits package, which is something that I kind of preach as well. You know, it's not really about the money that you're making. It's the money that you're taking home. And, you know, there's value in retirement plans, especially if there's any sort of match. There's value in loan repayment. There's value in paid time off. So I think it sounds like there are definitely some benefits to consider in the FQHC realm that could potentially make up for the fact that someone would be taking a lower salary number. Yeah, absolutely. And I would definitely highlight the the loan part, especially um, my organization is really for that. Like they, they advertise that as part of like the benefit package. Um, even though you have to apply individually, they are very much aware of it. And everyone at my organization has like a lot of the nurse practitioners have received it. So knowing that it's not just available, but that people have done it at, within the organization and they've received those funds. I'm currently applying for um, the NHSC loan repayment program 
and it will increase my salary for two years of service by 25,000 technically. So even though they go straight to my student loans, it's 20, so it's 50,000 for two years. So $25,000 per year, then I'm being able to just put straight on my loans. But I consider that, like you said, as part of my salary, that's a huge increase because then half my student loans are paid off by the end of my two years. I like the environment that I'm in. So really, like you said, kind of looking at the overall package where you may not be receiving as competitive of a pay as you would be at a established organization like that wasn't an FQHC, but receiving a compensation package that's really competitive in terms of overall looking at each component. And, and regardless of where you work, like you said, I would recommend anyone be looking into your full compensation package as a nurse practitioner. As nurses, we're, we're given an hourly rate or salary, and we're just told that that's pretty much it. And we get the standard benefits everybody gets. But as nurse practitioners, we really have that ability to have a whole compensation package. And that's that that's new for a lot of nurse practitioners. But looking at, at that as a whole versus kind of just looking at your salary and being like, oh, that's not enough. Um, kind of just looking at all of the benefits you may experience. Yeah, definitely. And just as a side note about student loans, FQHCs aren't the only places that can qualify for loan repayment. And I'll actually link in the show notes to an earlier episode that I did all about student loans because I personally, I worked at an academic medical center that was in uh, a zip code that was designated as an underserved zip code. And I was able to apply and get nurse corps funding, um, which paid back a large percentage of my student loans. So I don't want anyone to kind of get the idea that FQHCs are the only places that qualify for loan repayment, but most of them do. So I'll link to that um, episode in the show notes. So if that if anyone is having light bulb moments, realizing that where they work could make them eligible for loan repayment, there'll be more information about that. I remember being at one point where I said, I'll work for free if someone pays off my loans. I was willing to do pretty much anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's like um, an underrated topic in general is that we we all know we have loans. Nobody nobody got to the master's level or the doctorate level of nursing practice and, and, and didn't get some debt. And if you didn't, I really commend you. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just, you know, thinking about that too, um, in terms of loan repayment, sometimes your organization will pay for it too. So it, it just at being mindful and, and it doesn't hurt to ask because the worst thing that they can tell you is no, now, like we don't provide that. But definitely looking to HRSA funded repayment programs because, you know, like you said, not just FKHCs apply for that. Lots of other organizations do. And it can really make the difference in a, in a role if you take a role and, and maybe it's just not the best overall for whatever reason, but you know you're getting there, there are better benefits. It makes it more enjoyable too. Like you're like, well, I don't get paid the best, but I, you know, I'm eligible for student loan repayment. And that works for some people. And for me, especially, it was a huge component of getting a job as out of FQHC was that that was one of the benefits. I of course love the population. That was something I wanted, but being able to say I'll come out $50,000 less in student loans was remarkable. Yeah, for sure. So let's say someone is going on an interview uh, at an FQHC. What are some things that they should either research ahead of time or add to their list of questions when they get there that we may not have covered yet? Yeah. So things to prepare for is asking, like a lot of the questions I received were, what do you do when a patient doesn't want to go to the emergency room? And you know, that's the next appropriate level of care. That was a question I got asked that at an FQHC that it didn't really get asked at other organizations, but that it was really a huge component because they can't afford to go to emergency rooms or they don't feel comfortable because they don't feel like they're going to be treated appropriately. And so 
kind of having an understanding of what you as a provider are going to do. There are some good answers to that question, namely being able to explain the risk and benefits at, in a way that a patient who perhaps is healthy literate could understand and can agree to. And then what is your course of action? You know, and you don't have to have all the answers of you'll give X, Y, Z, you know, if it were hard, you know, those types of things, but being able to educate the patient in a way that they can understand as well as they can make an informed decision with keeping in mind that they may be health illiterate or they may be hesitant to even listen to your advice, let alone anybody from an emergency room. So that was one of the main questions that I got that I thought was really not challenging, but definitely something I had not thought about before at all. And I think depending on your FQHC, something to be mindful of is is something that everybody where I worked kind of wanted to know was, do you think you can handle this on your own? <laughs> um, so some FQHCs may not have more formalized orientation processes or they may be shorter because turnover is a little high within FQHCs because they can be challenging. And so it answering that question honestly, but also being prepared that you may be on your own within two or three weeks. And of course, they do things to accommodate that, like they ramp up your schedule slowly, but you have to be a self-initiator and you have to be a self-starter in order to really thrive within an FQHC, um, especially as a new grad. So thinking to yourself, even before you get to the interview stage, is that what I want? Do I want a more formalized and more curated experience that would require more orientation or Am I prepared to kind of take on some of that and then work collaboratively, of course? Um, and depending on your location, you may have a supervising MD that really is beneficial. My first supervising MD was not as, as helpful, but my second one, um, when the other had left the organization, was really great. She wanted to cultivate me as a nurse practitioner. And so I knew she was available. And so asking that question too, you know, how involved is your supervising physician? Um, mine is at a satellite clinic, so she's available by phone, or I can send her the chart and we can discuss at a later time. And so that kind of and asking those questions too, like what support is available? Our organization recently moved to a more team-based approach, and so that's really great. So we're there is they're promoting more collaboration. Our orientation may not be longer, but they're promoting that collaboration and promoting us to be more involved with each other, so that we can get, provide excellent patient care. And so those are types of the types of questions I was asked that were slightly different than other primary care offices. For the most part, the questions are similar. You know, they they ask how you know the the star method questions where they want you to answer behavioral type questions. So they, you give that star answer, that situation task. Um, I can't remember the A or the R, but the action, the, action and result. Yeah. So, the, you know, they, they, you want to answer those questions, those types of ways. So a lot of the interview was similar to what you would expect from other interviews, but some of the questions that I got asked as a whole were those. And our chief clinical officer her and the HR director both asked me about my mobile health experience and my telehealth experience. So be prepared for that as new graduates. Obviously, that this is a very different time. I interviewed during times of COVID. I interviewed in June of 2020. So being mindful that you may be asked about these things when in previous experiences, you may not have been. And FQHCs are leading healthcare. Like we, they really are a huge healthcare organization within the country who are going to continue telehealth services. And they are some of the founding people for telehealth services because in a lot of FQHCs, they may have already had telehealth policies and they may be adapting their telehealth policies to meet the needs of our patients because telehealth, especially in rural health, is a huge component. And FQHCs help bridge that gap between receiving services. 
So being mindful that you may have questions about that. Um, and depending on your organization, our organization eventually is going to open a mobile health clinic and I had mobile health clinic experience. So they asked me a little bit more about that and how my experience was overall. So being mindful that there are going to be different modalities that you may provide care and that you may receive questions and conversations about that maybe you weren't prepared for at your college or are prepared for in general, especially if like you've been practicing for a while and telehealth wasn't really integrated during COVID, just being prepared for those types of questions of how would you manage patient on telehealth or how would you manage a mobile health clinic or you know those types of things so that you can be mindful of that in terms of what questions you should prepare to be asked. That's great. That's really, that's super helpful. I think that a lot of people want to know or, or want to be prepared when they're exploring and interviewing different settings. So those bits are really helpful. If someone who's listening is interested in this type of setting, if what they're hearing so far sounds good, I think that we should probably include just kind of a brief overview of some other settings that aren't exactly FQHCs, but are similar. And I know that you have a list that we can kind of go through of those types of similar settings. Yeah, absolutely. So the first that is very, it seems very obvious to mention are federally qualified health center lookalikes. So those are going to be the closest, obviously, to FQHCs because they're going to look like a FQHC does without the federal designation and federal funding. They may receive some federal funding, but they typically are slightly different in the way that they provide services. And so they may not provide Every service to be qualified as an FQHC, they may be on the road to be an FQHC and they're just not quite there. So those are going to be obviously the most similar to what an FQHC is. And that's going to be where I would expand your search first. Other types of centers that are really, really similar to FQHCs may be rural health um, centers. Some rural health centers do have federal funding and are HRSA funded as well and HRSA regulated. But the difference is that they're obviously located in more rural areas so where healthcare may be less of a service. They may provide less comprehensive services. So they may not have dental or pharmacy um, or ancillary services there. So providing that knowledge, just knowing that rural health centers are very similar. They, they can receive federal or government, even state funding to provide services. And so just that's kind of actually how I, I personally got into federally qualified health centers was because I was looking for rural health centers. So rural health centers specifically have that designation. Now, a clinic can be rural health, but not rural health designated. And that is slightly different. So there are some nuances in that, but that would be a similar setting, but would be rural. So for those who are really interested in rural health, which I know we've, we've kind of talked about before with your, your dream roadmap students is that there are definitely ways to find rural health centers as well and kind of cultivate that rural health passion. The other kind of setting that I would I would briefly mention are health departments. They will be slightly different in the services that they provide overall. They may not provide primary services to everyone, but they do provide some primary services. Depending on where you live, they may provide STD clinics, family planning, um, immunizations, those types of things. So they are very similar. They are also state funded and federally funded. They practice under similar guidelines, but they will be slightly different in the patient populations that they serve because they may not provide primary care services to all individuals. For instance, the one where I grew up provided primary care services for just women and children. So being mindful that while these centers may be similar, they're not going to provide everything that an FQHC does um, and kind of looking at that overall. That's great. Um, So other than going to Google uh, and just searching, you know, rural health center or FQHC in, you know, my town or my 
County. Is there another place that you recommend people visit if they are, if this all sounds good and they're looking for job opportunities in this type of arena? Yeah, absolutely. So I would, I would actually not recommend Googling. I find that to be the <laughs> most tedious part way to find FQHCs. I've personally done it that way before. And it's not like FQHCs sometimes don't call themselves FQHCs. They call themselves community health centers. And so they're they're under a guise of names. So that's the other reason I would not recommend using Google is because you may miss one. And so where I would recommend starting is the HRSA website. Anywhere that's HRSA designated will show up, but there, I believe there is a way um, within there to kind of go to federally qualified health centers. When you start looking in the HRSA site, they'll tell you rural health centers as well, um, as well as community centers. So there's lots of things that you can do. Um, and I think the HRSA also even separates Indian health services organizations out, which will practice similarly to FQHCs, but are um, specifically um, related to Native American populations. HRSA is really the website that I'd recommend if your overarching goal is to serve underserved communities, because that's where you're going to find the majority of your resources. There's another really great website I'd recommend to anybody looking for rural health, but specifically if you're looking for rural health and underserved populations, it is called 3RNET. And I believe you've spoken about it previously on one of your blogs. I've kind of went over it through your Dream Roadmap course as well. But 3RNet is really great because the organizations typically put if they're an FQHC or not. Um, And then one other final way that I'd recommend maybe looking at specifically rural health. So sometimes there's FQHCs in, in rural areas as well. But looking at whether or not your state has a like an organization, like a state-based organization that helps providers find maybe rural or even um, underserved communities to serve. North Carolina does have one, and I'm happy to send that information, that all that information for Amanda so she, you can see that in the show notes, but connecting with a real-life person who can help you identify not just FQHCs, but any type of, of setting that may provide you that experience with underserved communities. North Carolina's does focus more on rural health. Um, however, they do receive job postings from Lexington, which is a, an actual city, and other locations. I think they've had Charlotte. They've even advertised advanced community health before. So they just kind of focus at, while it's designated as rural, they do focus overall on, you know, underserved populations. So your state may have an organization that's based like that. A few states that I know do um, include Kansas, I believe Illinois and Minnesota. They all have one that is state-based and state-funded. And so that may be a really good way as well. And I can provide some links to kind of determine, does your state have one? Because I think Alabama has one as well. And I discovered that particular type of modality through 3RNet. So I would always encourage you to go back through 3RNet. Maybe if you don't know if your state has one, they usually have some of those organizations listed on 3RNet as well. Awesome. So I'm going to link to the HRSA Workforce Connector website, as well as 3RNet.org in the show notes, because uh, I agree those are really fantastic websites to to search for positions and may, uh, I mean, these are going to be jobs that you're not really going to see on Indeed.com or LinkedIn or wherever because it costs a lot of money to advertise on those job sites. And if you've heard me talk about this before, you know, that's not always representative of everything that's out there. But these sites like the HRSA Workforce Connector, 3rnet.org, these are specific websites that are are meant for healthcare provider recruiting and, and matching positions for underserved communities. So you're just going to get exposed to a whole different range of positions. So I will link to those in the show notes because I think that's a great place to start, at least to 
start figuring out what types of locations are in the community where you live or the community where you are looking to work. Um, Mariah, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing all this information with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just uh, tag on to the the HRSA and the 3R net. I don't believe you have to pay to advertise there. So that's like something else to be kind of mindful of is that one of the reasons that you may find jobs there is because it's it's either low cost or no cost. I will say that even uploading to the HRSA Workforce Connector, uploading your resume, your profile, you'll get responses. I've gotten several emails. I started putting my information out there a year ago and I've still gotten emails about, Hey, are you still looking for an opportunity for these types of centers? And I've had FQHC specifically reach out several FQHCs actually reach out since I created that. And for both, you can create profiles. And once you create a profile, people may reach out on both 3Rnet and HRSA. So I would encourage you not just to look there, but to create profiles and put your resume and kind of put your best self forward because you may hear from, you know, employers, within your the community you're looking for, depending on whether or not your profile is updated. So I would, I would not just look, but I would definitely encourage you to create a profile and, and kind of update it so that you can do that. And HRSA has um, virtual days where you can do job searching as well. So there's lots of benefits to signing up for the HRSA, especially because you'll not only be reached out to, but you can go to those virtual job hiring days as well. And so that's really, a, like you said, a beneficial part of searching for these type of environments. Awesome. That is so super helpful. Thank you again so much for your time. Um, And if you're listening and this is really resonating with you, do head to the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode. Just tap into the episode description and click on the show notes. There'll be more information there, including the links from everything that we mentioned today. Thanks, Mariah. Thank you. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.